Well, that is certainly one of the joys of being present, not watching a live streaming, isn't it? That we get to be encouraged in the singing of God's people together and participate in that. What a delight to hear the saints praise the Lord. I invite you to turn to Second Peter chapter 1. It's near the end of the New Testament, before Revelation and before the epistles of John. Second Peter chapter 1. We continue in our study of the Word of God as it's summarized in the Canons of Dort, one of our three confessions. Canons of Dort were compiled in connection with the Synod of Dort, which was dealing with the heir of the Arminians, followers of Jacob Arminius, proclaiming God's truth about the doctrine of election. This morning we consider the assurance of our election, our personal assurance. Second Peter 1, I'd like to read the first 11 verses there. Second Peter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We end the scripture reading there. If you take out the smaller forms and prayers book and turn in it, to page 262, you'll come into the Canons of Dort there where we are. Page 262. We like to read Articles 12, 13, and 14. Article 12, the assurance of election. Assurance of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages and in differing measure. Such assurance comes not by inquisitive searching into the hidden and deep things of God, but by noticing within themselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unmistakable fruits of election pointed out in God's word, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, 
a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. Article 13, the fruit of this assurance, in, in their awareness and assurance of this election, God's children daily find greater cause to humble themselves before God, to adore the fathomless depth of his mercies, to cleanse themselves, and to give fervent love in return to him who first so greatly loved them. This is far from saying that this teaching concerning election and reflection upon it makes God's children lax in observing his commandments or carnally self-assured. By God's just judgment, this does usually happen to those who casually take for granted the grace of election or engage in idle and brazen talk about it, but are unwilling to walk in the ways of the chosen. Article 14, teaching election properly, just as by God's wise plan, this teaching concerning divine election has been proclaimed through the prophets, Christ himself, and the apostles in Old and New Testament times, and has subsequently been committed to writing in the Holy Scriptures, so also today in God's church, for which it was specifically intended, this teaching must be set forth with a spirit of discretion, in a godly and holy manner, at the appropriate time and place, without inquisitive searching into the ways of the Most High. This must be done for the glory of God's most holy name and for the lively comfort of his people. Our confession on the basis of God's word. Let's bow and ask for the Lord to meet us in his word right now. Father in heaven, we come again to that holy, mysterious, profound subject of divine election. We pray, God, that you bless us as we think about assurance. Oh, God, we pray that you bring us assurance through Christ and his spirit, through his word. May the preaching of this truth be for our building up, and may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Congregation of Christ Jesus, last Sunday morning sermon would have been met in our hearts by one of three reactions, either comfort or indifference or fear. Because last Sunday morning we looked at the marvel of divine election, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that God, looking into the future upon the sinful lump of humanity, all of mankind, chose some to be saved, not based upon anything commendable in them, not based upon anything they would do, but he chose them according to his own good pleasure. He chose to set his love upon them. He foreloved them and predestined them to be conformed to the image of Christ. He did this in Jesus. He purposed to give these to Christ, to call them into the fellowship of Christ by his word and spirit, and to keep them and preserve them for eternal glory. And this decree of God before the creation of the world, even from all eternity, we confess is unchangeable. It's immutable. It's unalterable. It can't be annulled or canceled. God has chosen some to be saved, and they will be saved, and the number of the elect will never be diminished. It is certain and secure. And so when you hear that doctrine proclaimed, then, 
it would strike you, wouldn't it? This is the, really the most important question in all of the world. Am I numbered among the elect? Am I one that God chose for eternal glory? Am I one whom God decreed would not be left to my own sin and God's damnation upon it, but that I've been predestined to live with God eternally? And upon hearing then that teaching of divine election, we might respond with great comfort. I, I know I'm among the elect. This gives me great joy to know my salvation is secure in Christ. Or that teaching could be met with indifference. Somebody could say, well, I don't believe in election, and therefore it doesn't matter to me even to consider the question, am I among the elect? Or thirdly, the doctrine of election could be met with fear, in which someone says, I I hear the doctrine of election in God's word. I see it there, but I'm not sure I'm elect, and therefore it startles me. It, it makes me anxious. It actually terrifies me. What if I'm not one of God's elect? Well, there's good news this morning, and the good news is that God gives to his people the assurance of their election, and God is pleased to do that, and we can grow in that in our assurance. And there's good news that that no one ever needs to think, well, maybe I'm not elect, therefore I can't come to Christ. But it's the very opposite, that Christ calls all to come to him and assures them if they come to him, he will receive them. And in being received by Christ, they will discover they are the elect of God. No one in this life can be certain they're not elect. You realize that? No one in this life may be certain that they are not elect. All sinners are called to come in repentance and be saved. But those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ may know for certain that they are elect. Let's consider that truth this morning as we consider the gift of assurance and then the growth of assurance and finally the glory of assurance. Second Peter begins with Simon Peter, the apostle of Jesus, Addressing the ones he says are those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an amazing way for the Apostle Peter to address. In his former epistle, he addressed the ones to whom he wrote as the elect, the elect of God. Now he addresses them as those who obtained like precious faith. That's an amazing statement because Peter, remember, feared even to eat with the Gentiles at one point and had to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul. And now he writes even to some Gentiles and say, you have the same faith we have. And it's an amazing statement because, because he's an apostle. And he says to the congregation whom he writes, he says, you have the same faith we have. You stand on the same footing. It's a like precious faith. But though they possess that faith with the apostle, He goes on to call them in verse 10 to be even more diligent to make their call and election sure. What does that mean? What does that mean to make one's call and election sure? Can God's eternal decree of election become more sure? The answer is absolutely not. God's decree of election from all eternity is as God himself, it's unchangeable. It can't be any more sure than God is sure, and God is sure. He's absolute. He's the great I am. But our assurance of election can grow. Assurance is the gift that God would give to his children. 
And there's the possibility and the actuality that God's children are assured of their election. There are those who have denied that the elect can become assured of their election. Roman Catholic theology says that the individual believer cannot be assured of their salvation. And and Arminian theology really would have to say the same thing, because in Arminian theology, if God chose people, he chose by looking ahead who would believe on him, and the ones who would believe on him, then God chose them in response. But if that's the case, then God's choosing is based on our choosing. And how do I know I'm going to choose God tomorrow? And if I don't choose God tomorrow, then maybe he doesn't choose me. And therefore, I can't know I'm elect until finally I arrive in heaven. And I made it. But we're grateful that our spiritual parents understood the Bible better than that. That election does not depend upon man, but upon God's own love and good pleasure. And therefore, the God who chooses us and who saves us, loves to give his children assurance. And so we confess in Article 12 that assurance of this eternal and unchangeable election to salvation is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages and in differing measure. Wouldn't it be strange to think that that God had revealed this doctrine of election, but then kept it a secret as to who is the elect? wouldn't be an odd thing that, that God would in so many places in his word hold up the doctrine of election, but never let you know if you are elect. That would be strange. Ephesians 1 tells us that the elect were chosen for the praise of God's glory and grace. And, and the primary praisers of God upon earth are believers. And if the doctrine of election is for God praise, but we can never know we're elect, how can we praise God and rejoice in it? 1 Peter chapter 1, as I mentioned, Peter writes to the elect of God, and then he says in 1 Peter 2, the previous letter, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so all throughout Scripture, you find believers exuberant and rejoicing in the security of their salvation. Their lips overflow with praise. You think again of Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. There's nothing wishy-washy about that burst of praise. The apostle doesn't say, we're going to see if it's us. We're going to learn someday whether we made it, whether we're part of the elect. No, there's this excitement, this exuberance. He chose us. The same thing in what we read last week in Romans chapter 8, don't you? When, When the apostle Paul, in that climactic moment in Romans 8, says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, nothing at all of creation. And that's based upon the reality of of verse 29 and 30, right? Those God foreknew or foreloved, he predestined. And so the apostle doesn't take the let's wait and see approach. Which one of us will make it to the end? Which one of us will believe to the end? And then we can find out we're elect. But Paul is convinced that we are secure in God's love because we are the elect. And that assurance is not just for some super apostle who never struggled with sin. Romans 8 comes right after Romans 7, right? Where the apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man, who will rescue me from this body of death? Assurance is what God gives to his people. It's his gift. 
He not only chooses the people to be saved and chooses to give them faith, but he chooses to give them the assurance that they are his from eternity and to forever. The most beautiful flower in God's garden, it's said, is the tulip. T for total depravity, the U for unconditional election, the L for limited atonement, the I for irresistible grace, the P for the perseverance of the saints. And we could add that the children who love the beauty of the tulip are the children who run around the garden and jump up and down, are filled with excitement. This is my father's garden. This is my father's world. I am his and he is mine. But the alternative is what? The alternative to the tulip. If you can't see the beauty of the tulip, you're left with daisies. And you know they say about the one who has the daisy, he has to walk around the garden in a somber mood, pulling off the petals one by one. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Does he love me today? Do I love him and therefore he loves me? Will he love me tomorrow? Will I love him? Will he love me? No, what a blessing to know. Unconditional election. God has loved me from eternity. And as I believe on Jesus Christ, I know I belong to the elect. Assurance of salvation is not, as Roman Catholic theology says, limited to a few select martyrs or super saints, but it's the normal thing for the Christian to be assured. It's the norm. And yet the canons wisely add that assurance is given over time and given in different measure. Some are more assured than others. Some do not even know they're elect until the last day of their life. Not because Arminian theology is true, but because maybe they're not called to the Lord to the last day, like the thief on the cross. And then he could know that he was elect. Over time, our assurance may even change, right? It can grow, praise the Lord, but it can also be diminished, can't it? When we fall into sin, when we're careless with our souls, when we're not making use of the means of grace, feeding regularly on the preaching of the word and the sacraments, then our assurance will diminish. But remember two things. First, that assurance is God's gift to his people. He wants them to have it. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then remember the second thing, that our feelings of assurance may wax and wane, but the solid rock of salvation never moves. Jesus Christ is firm and the promises are certain, which is to say that the object of our salvation, Christ, never wavers. But as someone has said, our feeling of grasping that object does at times feel stronger and less strong. Our assurance may not be what it should be this morning, but even the tiniest faith that rests in Christ has a salvation that is certain Because Christ and his work is certain. His death for sins, his righteousness are insurmountable. He has won. But our experience of being part of receiving that may not be all that it should be at times. And yet we gain entrance to heaven not by the intensity of our assurance, but we gain entrance to heaven by the righteousness of Christ. Your assurance doesn't save you. Christ saves 
sinners. Assurance is a gift, then, from God. The doctrine of election is not some cruel joke or some ugly threat. God hangs around our neck to make us go through life always trembling. I don't know if I'm elect or reprobate. The doctrine of election is revealed in God's holy word to be the source of his glory and the source of our comfort. And since it's revealed in so many places in scripture, not one or two, but countless places, and since we confess that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, we confess rightly in the canons that this doctrine must be taught, it must be proclaimed for the glory of God and the comfort of his people. And it confesses that there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. This truth of God must be handled with reverence. We must be careful with it. It must be set forth with a spirit of discretion and a godly and holy manner at the appropriate time and place without inquisitive searching of the ways of the Most High. There's a wrong way to handle this doctrine that leads to destruction, but there's a right way that leads to great comfort. So this is not a useless doctrine. This is not an ugly doctrine. This is the joy of God's people. Because God, better than the best of earthly fathers, who wants his children to know, you're secure in my love, I have loved you and I will love you. God wants his children to know that his love for us is certain. But if this morning we're saying, I believe that, but my assurance is not what it should be, what should I do? Well, let's consider secondly this morning how our assurance can grow. How our assurance grows, secondly. Assurance is actually a duty to be pursued. I wonder if you've noticed that before, but when, when Peter says in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. When the Holy Spirit says that to us, he's telling us that, that it's actually not up to us to decide how much assurance we want. Or for us to decide if we think we have enough assurance or it's good enough or we don't really want assurance. We're actually being commanded by God to get assurance. We're being commanded by God to seek full assurance. Some people think that being a little unsure of salvation, having some doubts is healthy. It's a sign of humility. Or it's a motivating factor to keep them trying harder. That isn't the case. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. R.C. Sproul, in his book, Chosen by God, helpful book, as he comments on 2 Peter 1, he says, Peter links assurance with freedom from stumbling. He writes, one of the most important factors that contribute to a Christian's spiritual growth, a consistent spiritual growth, is the assurance of salvation. To be lacking in assurance is a grave hindrance to spiritual growth. The person who is not sure of his state of grace is exposed to doubts and terrors of his soul. He lacks an anchor for his spiritual life. His uncertainty makes him tentative in his walk with Christ. So God, the Holy Spirit, says, be diligent. Do due diligence to make your calling and election certain in your mind. Well, how are we to do that? Well, first of all, how we are not to do that. The canons make clear at various points we are not to do that by trying to pry 
into the secret things of God, trying to climb up to heaven and look into God's book and say, is my name there? Now remember Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. There's wrong ways of going about trying to attain certainty that we are the elect. And all the wrong ways have this in common. They're not content with the scriptures. Some seek confidence in something they performed in the past, right? They, they say, well, I, I responded to an altar call. I raised my hand. I walked the aisle. I signed a pledge card. And that's my confidence. Or others say, well, I've done all these good things. Look at what I have done. I have done a lot of good things, more than many people. Others seek confidence in what someone else says about them. You know, my, my mother always said I was a very good Christian boy. My wife tells me that I'm, that I'm a better Christian than she's ever met. Others want to take confidence in some kind of experience. When I was in the hospital, someone told me they saw an angel. Or they want to look to a dream, or a vision, or a feeling. Or they want to have God audibly whisper in their ear. Or they want a sign. I, I know God is for me because look how my business is prospering. I know I belong to God because I was almost dead. I was about dead and I got saved from, being, from dying. All those methods are dead in streets. Any one of those methods could be Satan masquerading as an angel of light. None of those methods can bring you certainty. God gives us assurance in a different way. He doesn't give us the list with all the names of the elect, and yet Jesus told his disciples to rejoice that their names are written in the book in heaven. How can we know that we belong to God, that we are the chosen of God? Well, the way is to look to Jesus Christ. The way is not to try to figure out, am I elect, by looking at election. But the way to know you're elect is in coming to Christ, believing on Christ and his promises. And as you do that, and find that confidence in him, that he embraces you, that his promises are true for you, then you discover that you are elect. You see, if you're a believer, you're elect. If you're not a believer... You don't know whether you're elect. But if you are a believer, you know you are elect. Only believers may know, and only the elect will ever believe. Now, the canons here at this point say that we may notice within ourselves, we may seek this assurance by noticing within ourselves with joy and delight, the unmistakable fruits of election pointed out in God's word, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. Believers have a true faith. If you have a true faith, then you're among the elect. Again, that true faith has to be directed to Jesus Christ, not to ourselves and to our own assurance. We have to come to Christ Jesus. We have to believe on what Peter calls in verse 4, exceedingly great and precious promises. The foundation, our confidence of being saved is not found in us, but in these promises of God that he's promised he'll save all who come to him, all who call upon him. 
He's promised that Jesus Christ has died for sinners. And as you come to Christ believing on those promises, you have that assurance that's worked in your heart through Christ. And if you're able to notice now by by God's working in you a true faith in Christ, however small it might be, however weak it might be, however impure it might be, if it's any genuine faith that you rest yourself in Christ, well, then you know that you possess the fruit of election. Because no one who is not elect ever comes to saving faith. But it also speaks of this childlike fear of God. If you recognize that within yourself, you have a reverence for the Lord God. This brings to mind as well that it's the Holy Spirit who works the assurance. Romans 8 says that, That the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And by the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. God gives his Holy Spirit to testify by his word in our heart that we are the children of God. And we find through the working of the Spirit this, this confidence in our soul that in our desperate moment we cry out, Abba, Father. But as you recognize that within yourself, this childlike reverence and fear of God, then you are seeing the fruit of election. No one fears God like that unless they're elect. And then the the canons speak of a godly sorrow for their sins. We know the world often sorrows for the consequences of their sin. They, They sorrow over the shame it brings them. They sorrow over the consequence it brings them. But they never say what David said against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is wicked in your sight. You see within your heart that you sorrow because you've offended God. You've grieved the God who gave his son for you. Then you're seeing the fruit of election. And the catechism or the canons say a hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we come saying, I want to know the righteousness of Christ as my covering. And I want to walk in the law for the glory of God. Then that's the fruit of election. We walk in this path and we become more certain and assured of our election. And this, you see, is what Peter is saying. And that's what the canons is is appealing to, really. Peter says in verse 5 and following, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Come to know Christ and his salvation better. To knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance. To perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness. And to that love. You see what Peter's saying? He's saying, give due diligence to this. Don't, don't be lackadaisical with your spiritual health and your soul, but seek to add, to grow, to learn more of Christ. And in that way, you make your calling and your election more sure in your own knowledge and experience. It's not simply a result of a logical process. We, we look at ourselves, do I have the fruit? And we say, well, there it is, I have the fruit. It's always a work of God's spirit by his word in us. We discover our fruit by measuring our lives by the word. But as we find in our lives the very thing God promised to do in his elect, then we can know that we are the elect of God. Assurance is sure to waver when we walk in impenitence. When we walk away from the Lord, we will lose assurance. We may also lack assurance if maybe we grew up in a Christian home 
And we have never consciously contemplated the question of assurance or, or thought through it. If we've just been going along and we haven't been confronted with this thought, do I know for certain if I died today I would be given entry into heaven? Do I know for certain that I belong to Christ, his spirit lives in me? We're called to examine ourselves in a righteous way and to ask that question and to be thoughtful in our Christian life. We may also struggle at assurance in times of suffering, right? When it seems that the Lord has deserted us, why are these things happening to me? Or maybe there's a dark night of our soul when it seems like God is so far from us. But even if the Lord tests us in that way, the summons is to run to him, to read his promises and to pray for grace, to believe them even if I don't feel it, and to know once again that the security of my salvation is not my feelings, but the Christ of God. And why is all of this a good thing? Well, think finally this morning of the glory of assurance. The glory of assurance. Far too many have thought of assurance as a bad thing. There are those who think that assurance leads to careless living. If you know you're elect, then you're just going to sin all you want because you, you know you got it locked in, you're going to heaven. That's what some people would say. The Apostle Paul confronted something similar, right? In Romans 6, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If grace covers sin, then why not sin? And the Apostle Paul said, no, it could never be. Because those who are in Christ have died with Christ to sin and been raised to new life. They are a new creature. We must always remember that the abuse of a doctrine does not invalidate the right use of a doctrine. Election can surely be abused and misused. Israel did that, right? When the prophets came to Israel and said, you are sinning and God's judgment is coming towards you. They said, oh no, we are Israel. We have the temple, the temple, the temple. God lives here. But we know what happened to the temple. Careless presumption is destructive. Article 13 notes in the second half, that though election is good, assurance of election, this is far from saying that this teaching concerning election, a reflection upon it, may God show and lax in observing his commandments or carnally self-assured. But by God's just judgment, this does usually happen to those who casually take for granted the grace of election or engage in idle and brazen talk about it, but are unwilling to walk in the ways of the chosen. There are some who are very reformed in their theology, right? They've read every R.C. Sproul book. But they didn't know Jesus Christ. To be able to wax eloquent about predestination. But not to confess your sin and fall upon Christ does you no good. In fact, it may even leads you to a false assurance and to be among the number that Christ says, depart from me, I never knew you. You need to be warned about idle and brazen talk about these things or being carnally self-assured and say, my church believes in election, so it doesn't really matter if I walk in sin. I'm secure. That's foolishness. People who live in sin without repentance but keep appealing to the fact that they're the chosen of God are actually trifling with God's teaching. 
But there is a right use of election. And we confess that. That Article 13, in their awareness and assurance of this election, God's children daily find greater cause to humble themselves before God. To adore the fathomless depth of his mercy. To cleanse themselves. And to give fervent love in return to him who first so greatly loved them. As we mentioned last week, the fruit of election should be humility in our hearts. In discovering that we're elect of God, we don't discover how great we were. Oh, I knew I was important. God proved it. No. In assurance of election, we discover how much we don't deserve this glorious love. Who am I that God should choose me? The fruit of election is worship, adoring the wonders of his mercies. The Apostle Paul, you know, in Romans 9 through 11, deals in this substantial way with election. And he comes to the end and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Worship should lead us to worship the God of such glorious grace. And it should lead to holiness. Assurance of election should lead to holiness. We've been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Rather than leading believers to a careless life, assurance of election should have the very opposite effect. Remember what 1 John chapter 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So he says that we have this assurance that we are the children of God. And then 1 John 3, 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Far from leading believers to live a lackadaisical, careless, sinful life, the knowledge that we are God's children forever actually brings purification. It leads us to want to put away sin and to put on Christ. It brings the good and wonderful fruit of conforming us to the image of Christ Jesus. If last Sunday morning you were comforted by the doctrine of election, the summons of God's word this morning is... Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure and enjoy greater comfort. If you are indifferent to the doctrine of election, calling of Scripture is let that doctrine of election and reprobation, let those eternal truths shake you and make you know that you are a small creature before a sovereign God and you will give an account. Be awakened. Be awakened to the Lord and what he says in his word. But if the sermon last Sunday made you anxious, wondering, am I among the elect? Know this, that God in love wants to give you assurance. And he's given to you a way. Calls you to turn to Christ more and more. To believe the promises spoken. To sit beneath the proclamation of that word. And as you hear it preached, to receive it in faith calls you to pray for his spirit to 
counsel your heart and give you that confidence to testify that you are a child of God by his word. And he calls you, as Peter mentions here, to make every effort to grow in godliness and holiness. Because the more that you become like your God, the more you'll know that you belong to your God as you see these wonderful fruit of election in your life. May God help us, brothers and sisters, to grow in our assurance until that great day when we'll see the face of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in Christ we behold ourselves. As we look upon the chosen of God, the Christ, seated at your right hand, and as we by faith embrace him and belong to him, then we know that we also are chosen for him and in him and through him. Well, God, we lift up prayer this morning for those who wrestle with assurance. We know, Heavenly Father, that a lack of assurance plagues some believers for many years. But, Father, you know how difficult it can be to bear. We pray you'll have mercy upon these We pray that your word and your spirit will tend to them. We pray you will help them to seek help from others, if that would be a benefit to them. We pray, Lord, for any who lack assurance because they are refusing to surrender themselves to you, refusing to let go of their sin, refusing to confess it. We pray that you would grant a full and an open confession. They might have a clear conscience and be at peace. And Father, where you have given that grace of assurance, we pray you'd preserve it. Because we confess, Heavenly Father, we cannot. We are prone, Lord, to stumble. We are prone to rely upon feelings and extra revelations. We pray you'd keep us humble to rely upon your word and the Christ of the word. And Father, we do thank you and that you are pleased to comfort your children. So we look to you and we praise your name, and we pray that as we are comforted, our lips would open to sing your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.